Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ruger, surprising you with new topics, new information every single week, and jabbing you with your daily dose of MMA information. And man, do we have a jam-packed episode today. I'm thrilled about today's episode. I got all dressed up. I took some time out of my day. Let's get into it. We are going to be previewing UFC Paris, which goes down this Saturday, September 2nd? Yeah, September 2nd already. Wow. Wow, we're already in September. That is crazy. I feel like August just started. I just got back down to college, but we're already getting September rolling, so let's go. We're going to be ranking phase two of the MCU. We're doing our MCU rankings of sorts. We ranked phase one last week. Now we're going to rank the phase two movies this episode. Um, we're also going to be talking about some new fights, some new UFC news in general. Um, recapping Dana White's Contender Series, the 60th episode, the fourth episode of this season. Went down Tuesday, and um, yeah, we're going to talk about all sorts of things on today's episode. Happy to be getting into it. I am uh, recently decided I'm going to try and reach out to some sponsors, maybe try and get some sponsorship for this uh, podcast. Going to try and revamp a bit. I need to work on my marketing of sorts. I, since I don't film, since I have like nowhere to film myself, I don't really know how I can post uh, videos showing myself speaking and such. This is definitely more of just an audio-only podcast at the moment, but if I can find a way to film myself of sorts, it would be very awesome for the podcast, but let's not waste any time. Let's get into everything. I hope everyone's having an amazing day. It was an amazing week for everyone. Tomorrow's Friday. Super hype about that, and yeah, let's get all into everything. So kicking off... We do have some new fight announcements on the lesser side. Yasmin Lucindo, the 20-year-old, 20, 20 I believe, uh, Mexican fighter, she recently just fought August 15th, is already back on September 16th at the new UFC Noche event at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. She'll be taking on Josephine Knutson. She is from uh, the third episode of the season of the Contender Series. Did not get a contract, but the UFC called her back and asked if she could step in on short notice, and she agreed. Happy to see both of them back fighting. Yasmin is an absolute savage. It's crazy. She's my age. And as for Josephine, she looked so good on the Contender Series. I figured she would get a contract. She didn't. Happy the UFC re-signed her. In bigger news, November 18th at the UFC Apex, it'll be UFC Vegas 82 Brendan Allen will be taking on Paul Craig in the main event for the middleweight division. Brendan Allen currently ranked number, is he, I believe he's number 10 at the moment. Yes, Brendan Allen's the number 10 middleweight in the world. Paul Craig, number 13. That'll be going down at the UFC Apex. Happy to see both of those guys fight. Brendan Allen will put on his uh, five-fight win streak on the line against Paul Craig, who recently debuted in the middleweight division not too long ago. That is an absolute amazing fight. If I can give an early prediction, I got a ride with Brendan Allen. He has just looked unstoppable as of late. And as good as Paul Craig looked against uh, Andre Munez, he certainly didn't put on a perfect performance. And when I saw Andre Munez fight Brendan Allen in his previous fight, Brendan Allen absolutely outclassed him. So I'll be riding with Brendan Allen for that fight. And my most exciting news, I've just been waiting to talk about this on the podcast. The UFC is apparently returning to Minneapolis, Minnesota, December 2nd at the Target Center. It has apparently been leaked on this past episode of the Contender Series, which we're going to talk to in a, talk about in a second. Thomas Peterson, who is from Farmington, Minnesota, did get a win. He then mentioned in his post-fight interview that after he had talked with Dana, he said that basically he's heard there's going to be an event in the Twin Cities and he'd love to be on it, and that only means it's going down. In Minneapolis. I'm so excited. I will, I will without a doubt. And even on the ESPN website, it says, um, uh, like, uh, what, what, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Like, it's not official. It's not official right now, but it's rumored that's the word. It's rumored that it'll be going down in, um, December 2nd, which is going to be a fight night. I don't know who will be made eventing, but nonetheless, I will be getting tickets. Unless it's, Unless it's a woman main event. I'm sorry. If it's a bad woman main event, I will not go. But if it's anything other than that, I will I will definitely be buying some tickets. I'm going to have to DoorDash a bunch. I'm going to have to get my side hustles going up, man. I'm going to need to make some money to actually afford a ticket. I could be looking at a $200 to $500 ticket 
or do we just ball out and buy the VIP package? I don't know, but I was so excited when I heard that. I literally called my mom at like 10 at night. I was like, Mom, you'll never guess what? The UFC's back. And she's like, oh, really? That's lovely. Like, just just not that, not that enthusiastic. But actually, you know what? She was pretty hype about it as much as I was. So it's always good to hear that stuff, man. I've... The last UFC event in Minnesota was Francis Ngannou versus Junior Dos Santos in a fight night. That was back in June of 2019, so long ago. It's crazy where both those fighters went and just where the UFCs went in general. But man, I'm so happy the UFC will be returning. And oh man, I just, I just can't get over it. I'm so, I'm, I'm ecstatic. I will without doubt be going. Maybe we can do a meet and greet. This will be great for the podcast. Maybe I should print some merch. And to get the brand out there. Who knows? Who knows? But very happy that that fight is going back. That that fight's going back. That we're coming back to my favorite state, Minnesota. All right. Dana White's Contender Series, episode 60. Let's get into it. Five, yes, five fights went down. I took notes during every single fight. I was very prepared. I might do this this Saturday. I was able to watch every single fight, actually be in tune with it. So let's dive in. So we kicked off the card in the lightweight division as Dylan Salvador took on Bellagi Oki. And I thought Dylan Salvador was going to get it done, but man, Bellagi Oki won me over and won the fight. Starts off, Oki is hitting him pretty hard. I mean, you're visibly seeing his shots landing more. It's pretty competitive. All of a sudden, Bellagi drops him with just a out of nowhere, drops him down, and basically a blitz attack is all I can describe, which is just, he's just going forward, punches, Dylan goes down, um, I think it was actually with a body shot up against the cage during his, like, little blitz running attack at him with his punches that dropped him at the 2 minute 46 second mark of round number one, officially a TKO, Bellagi improves to 8-1, and one. and I predicted he would get a contract, and he did get a contract, very excited, um, Balaji, I believe, is from Belgium, so very nice to see a European fighter getting another contract. And man, he was super, he was super humble, he was super appreciative of getting the contract, and whew, he fights good. And eight and one, lightweight. How old is Balaji? I can't recall. I believe he's 28, 27. Happy to have him in the UFC. I don't know what'll be next for him at lightweight, but um, hmm. Maybe someone like Euros Medic or someone. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to throw some of these guys straight to the wolves. But man, some of them are just too good not to. Moving on to a um, name we just mentioned in the heavyweight division. Thomas Peterson took on Chandler Cole. Um, round one starts out. Good grappling. Peterson landed a single leg and it was single leg takedown. It was clear to see from round one that this was going to be a grappling fest from Thomas Peterson, um, good good trip takedown two in round number one. Entered his half guard very well. And I honestly scored round one at 10-8 in favor of Thomas Peterson. He had three minutes, 55 seconds of control time. Total strikes 57-12 to 12 as he goes two for two on takedowns. Some, some good ground and pound, some very good ground and pound. Round two starts off. Thomas Peterson, another good single leg takedown. Three for three officially for the fight. I mean, Chandler Cole had no answer for him at all. I mean, he moves right into, um, it was like a crucifix, but it was like side control of sorts, and he locks up a Kimura in round two. Actually, it, it goes down as a key lock. They announced it as a Kimura. It was in just, he basically, he basically was about to break his, <laughs> break his arm off, and he gets the um, victory, and as I predicted, he gets the contract. I had a feeling he would get the contract, and man, super, super good. He improves. I know he's on a three-fight winning streak now, but he improves to eight and one. Thomas the Pearson train, and there's a funny moment. The announcer, um, who was the announcer? I can't recall. He announced him as Thomas Jefferson. Super funny. And my roommate's walking in to speak to me. And he has left. Always good times seeing Mr. Seth. But yes, Thomas gets the contract. And I'm very happy to see him in the UFC. I love seeing Minnesota fighters in the UFC. It's very rare you see any. I mean, pretty much when you think of Minnesota fighters, you think of Brock Lesnar. So let's move on to our third fight because this one was interesting. As Timothy Kwamba took on Mateo Vogel. I predicted Mateo Vogel to win. And this fight was very interesting. So... 
Starting off, Kwamba landing some hard shots in the first minute of the round. I actually thought Vogel was going to go down. I was getting super nervous. But Vogel was able to sort of re- sort of like recover of sorts. He was able to defend a takedown twice. Vogel then um, sort of dropped him, not really more of a slip, did not consider it an actual knockdown. Very good first round. I did score it for Timothy Kwamba. Just let you know that Mateo Vogel did outland him in round one, defended his takedowns, but just from how strong Kwamba started, I think that's what gave him the round. Round two kicks off. It was a very close edge in striking, lots of leg kicks, and I believe the leg kicks won Mateo Vogel round number two. Okay, we get into round number three. A slam takedown for Vogel in the third. He had control until the end. Two minutes and 50 seconds of control time in round number three. So it was it was just basically just Vogel with control. Okay. I had it two rounds to one for Matteo Vogel. It's not even a split decision. All three judges see it 29-28 for Matteo Vogel. I just don't know how they scored it for him. I did it was a close fight, but I disagreed. I did not think that he would get a contract. And he did not get a contract. Dana White said he did not see the killer instinct tonight. And I didn't think he won the fight. I thought Mateo Vogel won the fight. That was super irritating to me. But Timothy Kwambo will improve to 7-1. and one, But will not be getting a UFC contract. It's a shame Mateo Vogel didn't get a contract. I hope they give him another shot. But as for Kwambo, I did not think he won the fight. So it was very troubling for me. But he didn't get a contract. So that didn't make me happy. Sorry to say that. Um, moving into our co-main, if you want to call it that, just the fourth fight of the night, as Yuzri Belgorai took on Marco Tulio. Oh man, Yuzri, I thought he was good. He was not very good. So, Belgri, some excellent takedown defense in round number one. He threw an excellent looking question mark kick that was very notable. He had some good scrambling on the ground. But Tulio took round one. I just, he, he managed to land one takedown, had almost two minutes of control time, and his shots were just landing more. So so round one went to um, went to Marco, I would say, but it was very close because the judges did score a couple for each of them, but uh, around a piece for each man. But I did think Tulio won round one. Moving into round number two. Belgari's mouth guard kept coming out. He lost it this round. Um, Tulio was landing very good this round, much better than round number one. And I had Tulio winning round number two. Official strikes, 21 significant strikes for Tulio, 19 for Usri. Of course, if anyone doesn't know, Usri was the man who had fought Alex Pereira, had trained with him in Glover Teixeira. He had even fought Adesanya back in the kickboxing days. So this guy was very well known in the kickboxing community. But we enter round three, and we realize that Tulio has no grappling. He loses his mouth guard in round number three. Tulio was going for the finish. He landed a trip takedown on him. He went to half guard. He went to side control. He put him in a crucifix. Tulio absolutely dominated round three. I'd even thrown out a 10-8, but I didn't score a 10-9. Significant strikes, 17-3 and in favor of Tulio. Total strikes, 40-7. One for two on takedowns for four minutes of control time. Belgari offered nothing in this fight. However, I did think, because Tulio was not able to get the finish, looked kind of sloppy, he would not get the contract. And what do you know? I was correct. Dana does not give him the contract. Pretty much said what I said and just said, you know, he has plenty of middleweights. If you're not, he wants you to come and fight with the intention to get a contract. And so there's something to be said that the three fighters that got finishes tonight all got contracts, and the two that went the distance did not. But I don't know. I don't really want to see Usury again. He put on a very poor performance. And as for Marco Chilio, I mean, he looked good. But, you know, if he'd have finished the fight, he'd have done much better. Let's get into the most exciting and best fight of the night as Mitch Ramirez took on Carlos Prates. Carlos, the one with so much experience. I mean, he was coming into this 16 and 6 at 20 years old. I mean, um, 30 years old. Was super excited for him. As for Mitch, a bit younger. Um, actually, no, he was actually 31, but he was 7 and 0. And we get going. So round one kicks off. Ramirez lands a slam takedown after eating some big leg kicks from Carlos Prates. Prates was able to scramble out and was landing some more hard hits. I mean, I thought he was going to put him away with his straights and his jabs. He was even throwing a couple overhands. But then Ramirez was even landing. But 
it looked like Protez was landing much harder. It was evident from the beginning that the power was with Protez. We advance into round number two. Crazy shots from Protez. I mean, he is landing some knees to the body. It was absolutely painful, I saw. And then we enter round two. Okay, so Protez clearly won round two. Mitch, Mitch landed a takedown. Once was on the feet, it was evident Protez had much more experience. And then we entered round number two, and Prates hit him with a straight punch a minute, 14 seconds in. And Ramirez stumbled down and just basically, he didn't get knocked out, but like it was over. I mean, he hit him with a punch, dropped him down. He was just laying there. The Prates called it off himself, didn't even land a follow-up punch. That was it. Carlos Prates gets the best finish of the night. And gets your third and final contract. And Dana White compared him to a young Anderson Silva. You cannot get a better comparison than that unless you get a John Jones comparison. I mean, Carlos Prates, he's in the welterweight division. He improves the 17-6. and six. Um, so, Sucks for Mitch Ramirez. He did, got cut from the, um, uh, from the ultimate fighter this past season and just lost his undefeated record. But, I mean, Carlos Prates, super entertaining. I want to see him in the UFC. And Dana White even said he's one of the guys you can throw right into the mix and he'll do good. Carlos Prates, I am excited to see you. So yes, Carlos Prates, Thomas Jefferson Peterson, and Bolaji Oki all get contracts. Super excited to see all those guys fight in the UFC, a new lightweight, a new heavyweight, and a new welterweight. Man, I mean, I, I would honestly say, do we have any international cards coming up? If we get Carlos Prates on that Sao Paulo card in November... That would be very good. I would love to see him in front of a full-packed crowd. That's for certain. And that's Dana White's Contender Series for you. That's your recap. It was another good episode. Um, didn't go 5 for 5 on fights, though. Went 3 out of 5 on my picks and out of how entertaining they were. But hey, that's just that's how it goes, man. That's how it goes. Um, let's move on to the UFC rankings. They actually did update this past Tuesday. So I figured we should go over some of the updates following uh, what, what happened this past weekend, guys. Oh, UFC Singapore. Yes. Moving to the heavyweight division, Zhang Weili is now tied for the number one pound-for-pound -pound spot with Alexa Grasso actually listed as the number one. Um, I think the UFC finally realized that, hey, Zhang Weili looks super impressive against Amanda Lemos at UFC 292. Let's bump her. Up. So she's tied with Alexa Grasso for the number one spot. Aaron Blanchfield passes Carla Esparza to move to the number six spot in the women's pound for pound as she awaits a title shot in the future. Most likely. I mean, you do have to think that, depending on how Manon Fiorat does against Rose Namajunas this weekend at UFC Paris, she could potentially jump the line. We'll see. And Aaron Blanchfield passes Manon, speaking of that, in the women's flyweight rankings, moving from the number three spot to the number two spot, only trailing Valentina. Shevchenko, no updates in the lightweight, welterweight, middleweight, light heavyweight division. Nothing there. Our um, second-to-last update was Giga Chikadze moves up to the number eight spot. In the men's featherweight division, Mosfar Evlov moving up to the number 9 spot. And the Korean Zombie drops the number 10 spot in the UFC featherweight division. I assume he'll be bumped from the rankings um, come next update. But as of right now, he is listed at number 10. Following his big win, Giga Chikadze, I honestly feel him versus Arnold Allen. I really like that Arnold Allen fight. I'd even do a Brian Ortega fight. And as for Mosvar Evlov, I'd love to see Mosvar against Calvin Cater, Arnold Allen, Brian Ortega, G.I. Rodriguez, any of those guys. Just one more farewell to the Korean Zombie. Amazing stuff from him. Loved watching his final fight. That, that UFC Singapore main event was super good. It'll definitely, as of now, it's in my top 10 for fight nights, main events of the year. Let's round out with the men's pound for pound, which updated Jury Prochaska drops the number 13 spot. He is a former uh, light heavyweight champion who gave up the belt due to injury. He should be returning this December against the number 12 ranked pound for pound fighter who dropped a spot, Alex Pajera. And at number 11, Max Holloway jumps two spots. There was a time I was thinking after he lost to Volk, why is Max still in the pound for pound rankings? And he reminded me this uh, past weekend that he deserves to be in it. 
Aljamain Sterling drops the number 10 spot, and Alexander Pantoja, your current flyweight champion, moves up to the number 9 spot. I'm hearing rumblings that he could potentially be taking on the number 4-ranked Brandon Royval for the belt in December. December shaping up to be pretty good. I'm sensing we're not getting McGregor and Chandler. It could be looking as like a light heavyweight belt, flyweight belt, maybe a bantamweight belt. I don't know. We'll, we'll see when December comes, but I did hear that we might do two pay-per-views in December. December's looking good, especially if we're starting with a Minnesota card. I've also was hearing that the UFC wants to go to Miami. They want to go to Toronto in January. They want to go to Houston, Chicago. They're finally branching back out. You love to see it. But let's take a break from um, UFC and let's move into our surprise topic of episode 18. Wow, we already have 18 episodes down. Ranking the MCU, that's right, we are on phase two this week. We ranked phase one last week, of course. Um, The Avengers was my number one ranked movie of phase one. But phase two, um, did it top phase one? I don't know. I think... The Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain America Winter Soldier and Ant-Man, I think, was better than some movies. But Iron Man and the Avengers and the first Captain America were better than the bottom three of MCU Phase 2. So for anyone that doesn't know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 2 went from May 2013 to July 2015. It started off with Thor the Dark World. No, it started off with Iron Man 3 and ended with, ooh, was it? Ant-Man? I think it was Ant-Man. Yeah, I think it went from Iron Man 3 to Ant-Man, if I'm thinking correctly in my um, chronologicalness of it. I actually heard in October, the MCU is dropping an official book or like video or something that details their chronology. Chronology? What a word am I thinking of, guys? Their chronological order. I think that's what I was thinking of. But man, these, yeah, everything's been messing me up. MCU's been kind of wacky of late. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 has been the best thing I've seen in a while. Um, I do not want to see the Marvels. I've heard it's the shortest MCU movie, thank goodness. I did not watch Secret Invasion, but I did see that apparently um, Khaleesi, um, gosh, what's her name? Uh, Daenerys Targaryen, that actress <laughs> who was in Secret Invasion. I can't think of her name for some reason. Clark? Is it Amelia Clark? I don't know. I think that's her name. That she's the most powerful MCU hero at the moment, which makes no sense since I know nothing about the show. Gosh, I'll have to get around to Secret Invasion at some point. At some point, I'll get around to Secret Invasion. But anyways, let's get into MCU Phase 2. There were six movies. I mean, I'm excited to rank Phase 3 next next episode. But um, Phase 2, let's dive in with my number six movie. It's a lot of people's worst movie of um, all time in the MCU. Drumroll, please. Thor The Dark World. Yes, Thor The Dark World is my bottom of phase two. And honestly, this movie is not as unbearable to watch. But just after you watch all of them, you kind of go, yeah, Thor The Dark World is not the best. Came out in 2013. It's very similar to the first in the tone of it. If you were to compare the third and fourth to be in the same tone of the Takia Watiti's goofiness. Um, but it's also, I don't think it's as good as the first Thor. I think it is a drop-off of sorts. They certainly shrink Asgard, the villain. Gosh, who even was the villain of the first Thor? The first two Thors have some really bad villains. Those Dark Elves, just, they were not menacing. There were no stakes at all. And weren't they in London for the final battle? I have no idea. A lot more of Jane Goodall, a lot more of Natalie Portman. Love to see her as an actress. But as the character, I mean... It was it was kind of like, like oh, she's the center role. She has a infinity stone in her called the Aether. And the Aether was super confusing at first. Uh, now looking back on it, it's not. But at the time, it was super confusing. Um, everything with Loki was good. Tom Hiddleston loved seeing him. His character arc in this film continued to improve. Um, but the villains did suck. I mean, it was it was just they, they weren't menacing. They, they hadn't really no goal other than to get this Aether and make the world dark. Just, I, I wasn't really rocking with it. But it did introduce another Infinity Stone. And the post credit scene showed the stone being brought to the Collector. And the next time that would have, would be shown again would be in Avengers Infinity War. But, yeah, Thor of the Dark Worlds. Um, I honestly am torn between this and Thor Love and Thunder for the worst Thor. But I do think this is unfortunately the worst Thor. Unfortunate, but, you know, they, they all can't be super good. 
I do think it's better than The Incredible Hulk, though. Personally, personally, I think it's better than The Incredible Hulk. Moving on to my number five movie of MCU, phase number two, Iron Man 3. Came out in 2013, post-Avengers. Uh, you know, I, I actually like this movie. I rewatched it a bit ago. I, I didn't think it was as bad as I thought it was. I do think it's better than Iron Man 2. Definitely not better than Iron Man 1. But, um, yeah, it was it was an all right movie. It, it was more Tony Stark than um, Iron Man. If you get the gist, it was more of the um, hero without the abilities than with the abilities. I would compare it to the first Thor of, Thor, of, Thor of sorts. Well, that's a tongue twister. He kind of finds his way. He has a uh, relationship with the kid. He doesn't have a suit for a lot of it. But the villains are super weird. They're like like superhumans that just like blow up made of like fire i don't even know super weird but yes the um i can't, I can't even think of who the villain was justin hammer that that wasn't it was it i can't remember it was one of those oh tony stark spurned him years ago he's now the villain that is they've done that with essentially every single tony stark villain i kid you not um happy to um happy to rewatch that movie especially after iron man did die in avengers endgame but yeah, it's the number five movie for me on my MCU Phase 2 rankings. Moving into my number four movie, Avengers Age of Ultron. That is right, the second Avengers movie. Honestly, it was super hype at the time. The trailer, the tra that's one of the best trailers because you were like, whoa, Avengers Age of Ultron, what is this? Um, that is the worst Avengers out of the four current Avengers that's uh, not saying too much. I don't think it's that bad. I think there is a lot of good. I just think when you put it up against other movies, it definitely is not the best. Um, it's a very good villain. Uh, it's a same shame that James Spader was wasted in just this movie. I wish they wouldn't have killed Ultron. I wish he would have escaped, sort of like what happened in Wakanda um, 2. Um, Wakanda Forever, Black Panther 2 is what I'm thinking of with Namor. But, uh, man, loved seeing James Spader, loved Ultron, very good villain. It introduced Wanda Maximoff on Quicksilver. It also killed off Quicksilver quicker than he was introduced. Um, very good Thanos tease in the post credit scene, showing him getting the Infinity Gauntlet. Loved that. It was a very long final battle, though. And I could tell that with this final battle scene of the movie, they were trying to upstage the first, the Bell in New York. And with this one, it's just the stakes did not feel as high. It's like, okay... If this city drops down to the ground, oh, it'll blow up the earth. But it just, it felt just like a city will get destroyed. And that's what happened. Meanwhile, with the Battle of New York, it's like, oh, the world's going to get taken over. But hey, who am I to say? We also saw Captain America kind of lift the hammer. We saw a bit of Hulk and uh, Black Widow's relationship. We saw some more Hawkeye. Always love to see it. And we saw the rift start to appear between Captain America and uh, Iron Man, which would lead into Civil War. But yes, Avengers Age of Ultron falls at my number four spot on my MCU Phase 2 rankings. I don't know if that's a popular or unpopular opinion. I don't really know. Moving into my top three. I mean, it's only out of six, but still, top 50%. My number three choice, Ant-Man. That's right, came out in 2015. I thought it was a great introduction to Paul Rudd's Ant-Man. And I love Paul Rudd. He is, he is just such a great actor. He always makes me laugh. I do think it's hard to take him serious as a villain at times because he's just, he's such a likable guy. He just has such like a likable face, personality. I love it. Um, I think it's the best in the Ant-Man trilogy. I actually think Ant-Man's de-progressed in progress, but I think that Paul Rudd is just so much fun. You just can't help but um, enjoy it. I do like seeing all the stuff with uh, his mentor, Hank Pym. You get a bit of, um, who's the other Pim? Natalie Pim? I, I can't remember all their names. It's not If it's not in front of me. I used to know all my MCU names, but I've kind of forgotten now. A decent villain. Just a, just a run-of-the-mill villain with, uh, who is it? Uh, Yellow Jacket? Wasp or whatever? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, very good movie. Um, just, it's, it's falling in my number three spot. And at one point, I had Ant-Man as like a top 10 MCU movie, but as I've adjusted my list, it probably falls in that 10 to 20 range. Falls at number three in the Phase 2 rankings, though, so good for Ant-Man. Moving in to the number two spot. I mean, there's only two movies left. I know a lot of people have this movie as their best MCU movie, but me personally, 
I'm a sucker for the number one movie I have on this list, so that's why it falls to the number two spot. But at number two, the Russo brothers' debut in the MCU. It came out in 2014. Captain America Winter Soldier. Such a different vibe from the first Captain America. Um, definitely better than the first. Uh, I do actually think the th- Civil War is better than this, but Captain America Civil War. Uh, I mean, Captain America Winter Soldier. A very good movie. It felt more real. It felt real compared to other MCU movies. It kind of gave me that spy, espionage type feel to it. Um, trying to be like a detective of sorts, evade just this evil corporation, the uh, shield that's been infiltrated. And I enjoyed seeing Bucky Barnes return. I enjoyed seeing the Winter Soldier. He was kind of menacing. Um, a lot more Sam L. Jackson. I mean, who doesn't love a little Nick Fury in the MCU? And Chris Evans is just so good. And you get more Natasha. You get them like buddy-buddy relationship. But at the same time, they had like this romance going on the whole film. And then just... After this film, they don't even mention it again. There's just nothing going there. It's kind of kind of weird, but I, I did enjoy Captain America Winter Soldier. It is number two for me, and honestly, until recently, it wasn't even in my top ten MCU movies, but I do know one of my buddies, he has it as like his number one of all time, or like top three. Me, personally, I don't. Moving in to the number one spot for MCU, phase two movies, whole man, I could watch, I could rewatch all these movies over and over and over again. Guardians of the Galaxy, my number one MCU Phase 2 movie, also in my top 10 MCU movies. It came out in 2014, James Gunn directed, and it kicked off the best trilogy, in my opinion, of the MCU. It is just funny. It gave off a whole different vibe compared to all the other movies before it. A great origin story for this group, for all the characters, too. And who doesn't love Chris Pratt? I mean, who doesn't love Zoe Zeltadonna? Who doesn't love Bradley Cooper and Vin Diesel as animated characters? Who doesn't love Dave Bautista? Just an amazing cast, too. Um, I think I see a lot of people hate on Ronin as a villain. I honestly don't mind him as a villain. I kind of like him. I think everything fits together. But this is one of those movies when it first came out. I don't know if I saw it in theaters. I think I saw it on DVD. But I didn't know it was even a part of the MCU. I didn't know the MCU was even a thing. I mean, this was just a random group being introduced, and it did something which the Eternals definitely didn't do, and that is captivate the audience. It was a perfect length, perfect humor, perfect final battle. I mean, this movie is amazing. I honestly think every Guardians of the Galaxy movie is like a 9 out of 10, and they actually improve. I mean, I think they're all the same level of just amazingness. But hey, that's that's just me. I know a lot of people don't like the second one, so it'll be interesting to see where the second one lands on my Phase 3 rankings. But Guardians of the Galaxy, my number one Phase 2 movie. Um, man, I might go rewatch it tonight. Who knows? So yeah, my rankings officially. Number 6, Thor The Dark World. Number 5, Iron Man 3. Number 4, Avengers Age of Ultron. Number 3, Ant-Man. Or number 4 is Avengers Age of Ultron. Number 3, Ant-Man. Number two, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And number one, Guardians of the Galaxy. Man. Man, the MCU early phases, it's just crazy. It used to be so easy to keep track of them. I mean, in, for the through the first two phases, we have 12 movies. And then in, like, phase three, we have freaking, like, 10 movies. It just, it upgraded so much. Man. I'm excited to do phase three, honestly. Phase 4 will be interesting, and then I don't even know about Phase 5. Maybe we do a full ranking of all 32 movies. Who knows if we're feeling that adventurous. We'll see. I mean, gosh, when's the Marvels come out? November? November, I think that movie's coming out. I don't know if I want to see it. I, yeah, I just don't know about it, but I'll tell you what I do want to see. And that is UFC Paris, ladies and gentlemen. That is right. We've already gotten to it. I'm just I'm cruising through all my information I'm just so excited to talk about UFC Paris. It's a good one. We got a lot of Paris fighters. It's going down at 11.30 uh, uh, a.m. Central Time prelims, 2 o'clock Central main card. So I'm going to take a quick little intermission, which will be no time for you guys, and I'll be back with your UFC Paris preview. And we are back, and we are ecstatic. Let's let's dive in. We have oh, we've had some fight cancellations. I don't even know how many we have now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven fights on this card. 
Which means I think we should be able to fit them all in in time. I mean, sometimes they go over for the prelims, which always messes me up because they'll be like, oh, this fight should be on the main card now, and I didn't make a pick. But yes, it is a six-fight main card, which means it's only a five-fight prelim. Wow. Just, I guess that's how it goes, but let's dive in. I mean, this is such a huge event. Cyril gone main eventing the second ever event in Paris, France. That's right, last year in September, almost to the day. It was September 3rd, 2022. We had Cyril gone versus Tai Tuivasa main event, and that was just an amazing event. I was in my apartment. I remember where I was. I was on my couch, and I watched Cyril gone versus Tai Tuivasa, which was one of my favorite fights of 2022. So without a doubt, let's dive in. We kick off the night. Night with a catchweight bout for the women as Zara Zara Fern takes on Jacqueline Cavalcanti. They never make the names easy, do they? Zara Fern is six and five. Jacqueline Cal Cavalcanti is five and one. Both five eight two inches in reach for Zara Fern. Uh, seventy two inches to seventy. This will be Jacqueline Cavalcanti's UFC debut. She is from Portugal. On a three-fight winning streak, 5-1 um, and one professionally with three KOs. She's only 26 years old, but she actually is French. She actually, uh, no, um, pardon me, my notes overlapped. Um, she is not French. She is Portuguese. It's her opponent, Zara Fern, who is actually French. She is sadly 0-3 in the UFC, um, been finished by Megan Anderson and Felicia Spencer, and lost earlier this year in January to Josie Ann Nunez. So this could be a make-it-or-break-it for Zara Fern, um, but she has been training with Hamzat Chemaev. Hopefully she can bounce back. I will say she is um, 40 years, she's 39 years old, so she is up there in age. Jacqueline is much younger kicking off her career and already has half the amount of fights as Zara has. I know we're in France, but I just cannot give this one to Zara, man. I got to go with Jacqueline Cavalcante by knockout. Uh, who knows if Zara can maybe get it done, but from from all the stats, it's telling me she's old, hasn't won the UFC. We'll see how she does against Jacqueline Cavalcante, but I don't really give her much of a chance. However, since it is France, I do hope she can win in front of her home crowd, but Hey, we'll see. Hopefully it's not a boring fight to kick off the card. I'll tell you what fight should not be the second on the prelims. This should be on the main card. We go to bantamweight as Farid Basharat. Farad Ferocious Basharat, that is, takes on Kledson K.R. Rodriguez in the men's bantamweight division. Farad is 10-0. and 0. He is brother to Javid Basharat, another undefeated bantamweight. Kledzin is 8-2. Farid has 3 inches in height, 5'8 to 5'5, five, five, and a notable 4 inches in reach. I mean height and then reach, 71 inches to 67 inches, 4-inch advantage. He is 26 now, I believe. Kledzin is 20, uh, 27 at the moment. Farid is um, 1-0 in the UFC, coming off the Contender Series last year. Picked up a big win over Damon Blackshear earlier this year in March. And as we've seen, Damon Blackshear is a very tough competitor, so all credit to Farid. I do believe he has a number of knockouts to his name, but he's taking on Kledson, who's coming off a big round one finish of Shannon Ross earlier this year. Got, got him out of there in 59 seconds. He came from the Contender Series in 2021, lost his debut to C.J. Vergara, but now he's found himself to his winning ways. But I'll tell you, Fareed Basharat from the, his Contender Series fight and from his DeMond Blackshear fight, I have seen nothing that should not make me want to pick him. So I will be picking Fareed Basharat without a doubt. I predict he'll go to 11-0. And man, I feel like Javid and Fareed Fareed Basharat can both be a dynamic duo of uh, brothers in the UFC. Happy to see that fight, and I expect it to be better than the uh, one to open the prelims. But man, this is Farid is super talented. There's no reason he should be this low on the prelims. Moving into our next fight, women's bantamweight, as Nora Cernoli takes on Jocelyn Edwards. Nora making her UFC debut. Jo jo Jocelyn's been here. She's done this. Okay, Nora six and one professionally. Jocelyn thirteen and. Four. Uh, an inch in height for Jocelyn and three inches in reach as well for her. Nora is, how old is Nora? I believe she's 33 
and Jocelyn is 28. Jocelyn is on a three-fight winning streak, winning back-to-back split decisions. Her last loss came in 2021 to Jessica Rose Clark. And in the UFC, she is 4-2. and two. All fights have gone the distance. Um, as for Nora, she'll be making her UFC debut, and her only professional loss is actually to a woman opening the card, Jacqueline Cavalcante. How about that? That is um, Nora's only loss. She is also French. Um, five KOs and a sub, so 100% finish rate. She is the more she's a Muay Thai style fighting. I mean, she is 33 years old, as I mentioned. Five KOs, one sub. Wow, I'm I'm going with Nora. She's 100% finish rate. I feel like she'll attack Jocelyn Edwards, just get on her, pressure her, and maybe even TKO her. I'm rocking with you, Nora. Okay, we were rocking with we're rocking with Jacqueline Cavalcanti, Fareed Bashrat, and Nora Cornell. Man, that should be good. I gotta pick some French fighters. Okay, I can't go against Zara and then not go against Nora. Moving into our fourth prelim fight of the evening as Ange Oh, I should say this. Um Jacqueline. And Nora are both stepping in on short notice. Just to let everyone know, those were not the originally planned fights. Just as this one is too, as Angelusa takes on Rise McKee on short-term notice. Angelusa 9-3 in the UFC. Rise McKee 10-4-1. I believe he's 13-4-1 now, but we'll see if they update that. Rise has got 4 inches in... Oh my... Actually, he's got 6 inches in high, oh no, it's four inches in height on him. I clearly can't do math. Six foot two to five ten. He's got four inches in reach too. Seventy eight inches to seventy four. Rise is twenty seven at the moment. Birthday is September tenth. And as for Angelusa, he is a ripe thirty years old. Ange, the last ninja Lusa, and Rise Skeletor McKee. Rise McKee debuted in the UFC in 2020. He got finished by Hamzat Jemayev. It's a shame he got fed to Hamzat Jemayev in his debut. He would then follow that up with a uh, November 2020 loss to Alex Morono before being cut, unfortunately. I don't think he should have been cut. I mean, he lost to, I mean, a guy who's co-made eventing a pay-per-view later this year. I mean, an undefeated savage, Hamzat Jemayev. And Alex Morono is a very solid welterweight competitor. Rise is 3-0 after leaving the company, became a Cage Warriors champion. He is from Northern Ireland. 10 KOs and 3 subs to his name with 100% finish rate. And um, he's gotten all of his finishes since leaving the company, all knockouts. I'm really hoping he can bounce back here. He takes on Ange Lusa. I don't know who Ange was supposed to fight. I forgot. Ange did get his first UFC victory when he beat AJ Fletcher last August. For that, he had actually lost on the Contender Series to Jack Della Maddalena and lost his UFC debut to Manir Lazez. I'll be riding with Ryze McKee. I'm really hoping he can bounce back in this fight. He looked super good in Cage Warriors, and I just feel this is a redemption for him. You know, he gets cut, comes back three years later, wins in home turf. I mean, this is as close as to Ireland we're going to get at the moment, and if he can get a win here, man, put him on an Ireland card with Ian Gary and Conor McGregor. That's all I can say. That's all I can say. Um, but yeah. I'll be riding with Rise McKee for this one in the welterweight division. Moving in to our featured prelim bout in the bantamweight division as Taylor Lapoulouse takes on Kaolin Loran. Um, on short notice, Kaolin is stepping in to... Uh, who, who is Kaolin stepping in for? I forgot. Um, I believe um, Taylor Lupus was supposed to fight... Yes, Khalid Taha. Then he was supposed to fight this guy named Muin Gufani, who was supposed to step in on short notice. He also fell out, so now he's stepping in. Um, Kowlin is 8-0. Taylor is 18-3. Same height, um, 73 inches in reach to 68, though, so a notable 5 inches in reach for Taylor, who fights Southpaw. Kowlin fights Orthodox. Kellen is a 27-year-old from Ireland also. He is currently, um, I was going to say on an eight-fight winning streak, but he's 8-0, so I guess he's on a winning streak. Um, and I could not find how many KOs he had, sadly, so I don't know. I'm sheer dog, let me down. Um, as for Taylor, I mean, I know for a fact that he's been in the UFC before. He had a stint from 2015 to 2016 where he went 3-1, and one, lost one decision to this guy named Eric Perez, and then was cut, but he's left the promotion since then, picked up a bunch of wins, and he's back in Paris. This fight was originally on the main card, and for some reason they dropped it down. I don't know why, but 
That's just how it goes. I'm very torn on this fight. Callan, 8-0 from Ireland, super good. But Taylor is from French. I mean, Taylor, double impact, Lapalouse. Versus Callan, the Don, Lorraine. I love the Don as a nickname. Oh, I'm very torn right now, gentlemen. I'm very torn on who to pick. Ugh, I'm happy that this is not an official fight. I hope I hope this doesn't get bumped up to the main card. Because I'm going to go based off of reach. And because Taylor is a f hometown France boy, I'm going to go with Taylor Lapalouse. We'll go by decision, but I don't know. Callan looks pretty good. But, I mean, okay, we'll, we're going to go with Taylor on this. We'll ride with Taylor Lapalouse. So our prelim picks, we'll just recount them. Jacqueline Cavalcanti over Zara Fairn. We'll say by TKO. Farid Bashrat over Clemson Rodriguez. We'll go by decision. Um, Nora Cornell over Jocelyn Edwards by TKO. We'll say Rise McKee submits Angelusa. And we're, we're going to go Taylor Lapalouse over Cowlin Lorraine by decision. And those are your prelims. Some pretty decent prelims. We have... One, two, I think three French fighters on the prelims. And in total, we have like nine on the main card. It's, it's the whole card. I mean, it's, it's very crazy. But anyways, moving into the main card, all of these picks are official as always. Main card picks, main card picks are official. Prelims picks are unofficial. Let's start off the night with two debuting fighters in the featherweight division as Morgan, the last pirate, Shari, takes on Manolo Angelo Veneziano Vecini. That's his, it's Manolo Zacchini. His nickname is Angelo Veneziano. I have no idea why. Um, Morgan is 18-9-1. He is from, where is he from? He's from France. He's 27 years old. Currently on a three-fight winning streak. Ten KOs and three submissions to his name. And he um, he is the uh, same height as Manolo. One inch in reach, though. They're both orthodox fighters. Manolo Zaccini. Manolo Angelo Venziano Zaccini. I do not understand that nickname. I'm going to need the broadcast team to really break that one down for me. Uh, he is from Italy on a two-fight winning streak. Uh, 26 years old, nine KOs, and one submission to his name. He's only on the distance once in his professional career. Whew, this is tough to say. I think I'm going to go with Morgan just because he's a French fighter and has more finishes. I, I don't know. I, I'm riding with the French fighter. That's all I'm going to say. We'll go Morgan round one submission. I, do I, I need to give a reason. I can't just say, oh, because I think that. So Morgan does have a reach advantage by an inch. He is older. I, it's tough to say. It's tough to say, gentlemen. I, I do have to say, because he's from France, we'll give him the edge. But when it comes to down, who's actually better? We'll have to sell that in the octagon. Moving into another fight in the featherweight division as William Gomez, William Jaguar Gomez, takes on Giannis, the desert warrior, Gamori. Ooh, that's a cool name. Um, William Gomez was originally scheduled to fight Lucas Almeida. That fight fell through. Giannis Gamori and save the day. William is 12-2. and two. Giannis is 12-1. and one. Six foot for William. Five nine for Giannis. 73-inch reach for William, 69-inch reach for uh, Giannis. William fights southpaw, Giannis fights orthodox. William Gomez is 26 years old, Giannis is 28 years old. Gamori is um, also from France, we got two French fighters here. 12-1 with three KOs and four submissions to his name. He's currently on a nine-fight winning streak. And he was actually originally supposed to fight um, Callan Lorraine, who we mentioned on the prelims. But um, since um, William Gomez and Taylor Lapalooza's opponent's belt both fell through, and since they're both training partners, they managed to split these two up so they would fight. Um, speaking of the man, William Gomez, he um, is 2-0 in the UFC, wins over Jarno Aarons last time they were in France, and earlier this year in April, he beat Francis Marshall by split decision. I'll be riding with William Gomez by decision in this one. I, I do think he has the edge in grappling from um, what I've seen from him. And as for Giannis, uh, this this was not the original opponent. He's also a bit shorter, less reach. So I will be going with William Gomez. The, the one good thing about this is that the French will have a winner out of this. Unless it's a draw, that would be hilarious. That would, that would actually be pretty funny. 
Let's get into our top four. I think it's our top four fights of the evening. These are the four I'm most excited for, especially especially this one. I always love when we have a debuting fighter against the ranked opponent. So, Volkan Ozdemir will be taking on Bogdan Guskov in the light heavyweight division. Volkan is currently currently ranked number nine in the light heavyweight division. He was supposed to take on number twelve Azamat Mirzakhanov. That fight fell through. Bogdan Guskov in to save the day. Volkan is eighteen and seven professionally. Bogdan is fourteen and two. One inch height reach for Bogdan, sixty six foot three to six foot two. And one inch in reach as well, 76 inches to 75, both orthodox fighters. Volkan is 33 at the moment, turns 34 on September 19th. Bogdan, 30 years old, on a four-fight winning streak. All of those have been KOs out of his um, 14 wins, 12 knockouts, two subs, 100% finish rate. He um, was born in Uzbekistan. It said he fought out of Russia. But I do believe he um, credits Uzbekistan as his homeland. Um, Bogdan Kizarovich, Guskov is his nickname, against Volkan No Time. Ozdemir, um, Volkan, had an interesting UFC career. We'll recap it since we can. Debuted in February of 2017, beating Ovin St. Prue. He would knock out Misha Serkinov and Jiwe Manua both in under a minute. Getting an early title shot, he would get dominated by Daniel Cormier in 2018, submitted by Anthony Smith in 2018, drop a split decision to Dominic Reyes in 2019. He would bounce back with, which with the finish you'll probably see on all of his highlight reels is his uh, round two knockout of Ear to Ear Latifi, earned a performance bonus that was in 2019, earned a controversial decision over Alexander Rakic via split decision in 2019. He, of course, was the man who Jerry Prochaska knocked out cold in his debut. Dropped a decision to Magomed. Um, last year, he lost to Paul Craig. I mean, he beat Paul Craig, but um, yet to fight this year. He's currently coming off a loss to Nikita Kreloff. That was a bad one last October. I'm going with Bogdan for this one, ladies and gentlemen. I think that Bogdan has an excellent knockout capabilities. I don't think Volkan's chin is what it used to be, if it ever was anything. And plus, Bogdan has the size to match. And I think when Volkan is met with someone his size, it's um, some or when they're bigger than him, I feel that uh, he kind of struggles a bit. So we'll be going with Bogdan. And, you know, I always want a new fighter to take over a spot. It's, it's, it's how I feel. And plus, if Bogdan wins, he'd be top 10, which would be very, very cool. So we'll go with Bogdan by round two knockout because I think Volkan um, has durability in round number one. Moving on to our number three fight, of the, or our top three fights, I suppose. Not the co-main event, but the fight before it, as Benoit Saint-Denis takes on Tiago Moises. This is going to be a good one, ladies and gentlemen. You're watching two future legends of the lightweight division. Benoit Saint-Denis is 11-1 and one with one no contest. Tiago Moises, 17-6. and six. 5'11", Benoit, 5'9", Tiago, 73-inch reach for Benoit, and 70-inch reach for Tiago Moises. Benoit Saint-Denis, 27 years old, Tiago Moises, um, 28 years old, I believe. Both born in 1995. We'll go with um, Benoit, God of War Saint-Denis, love his name. He has had four fights in the UFC. He actually debuted in uh, October 2021 against Elisio Zaleski Dos Santos at UFC 267. He His debut fight is the infamous, one of the worst refing performances of all time. The ref should have stopped it at multiple points. Benoit Saint-Denis is still lucky to be alive with the amount of punishment he took, especially to his head. I'm so glad that the UFC chose to have him back. In 2022, he went 2-0 and with two round two finishes, including a brutal one last time they were in Paris. He dropped Gabriel Miranda three times, took him down, dominated him before landing a 16-second round two knockout. He fought once this year in July where he submitted the ever-dangerous Ishmael Bonfim in round number one. Benoit Saint-Denis is a killer. He is super talented, and with a win here, he could easily be fighting a ranked opponent. But I'll tell you someone else who could be fighting a ranked opponent with a win. That is his opponent, Tiago Moises, who's been in the UFC since 2018. He won in the Contender Series on Season 1. Had the unfortunate um, debut against uh, Benil Dariush, who'd actually beat Kurt Holomo 
for his first UFC win in 2019. Kurt Holomal recently won the lightweight division of the Ultimate Fighter. Fun fact, he would then lose to Demiris Magloff before going on a three-fight win streak, including wins over Michael Johnson, Bobby Green, and Alexander Hernandez, before losing to Islam Makachev in a fight night main event. Made it to round four, though, showed some great experience before getting submitted, and then later that year would get brutally TKO'd in round one by Joel Alvarez. He would take a lot of time off, came back in 2022 to a round one rear naked choke of Christios Giagos, and earlier this year, he submitted Melquizal Casta by rear naked chokehold in round number two. These are both two very dangerous, very dangerous fighters. I do think that Benoit Saint-Denis can match Tiago on the ground. I do think um, uh, Moises has better uh, jujitsu of sorts, but I think Benoit has better striking and better grappling. So I'm actually going to give the edge to Benoit Saint-Denis. I'm going to go by round two TKO. I don't know if he'll drop him with a punch and follow-up or if he'll be on the ground grappling and TKO him with some ground and pound. But I do have faith in Benoit Saint-Denis. He is the French fighter. Tiago is from Brazil. And man, I am, I'm really excited for this one. This is I'm watching two very good fighters who could potentially fight in the top 15. And honestly, if either of these guys win, I'm looking at someone like Jalen Turner for a next opponent. Someone like... Ooh, Thiago, Diego Ferreira, Matt Frivola, anyone in the bottom 15 of the lightweight rankings. I could easily see these two guys taking on and winning. Very excited for that fight, but let's get into our co-main event. It's a fun one. It's a fun one, and this is a woman's fight, which I rarely say is a fun one. Don't cancel me, feminists. Women's flyweight matchup between men and Fiorat and Rose Nama Yunez. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We got a good one here. Moving to the rankings, um, Rose Namajunas is the number four woman in the woman in the pound for pound rankings. Manon is number ten in the women's pound for pound rankings. In the women's strawweight division, Rose is still ranked number two. In the women's flyweight rankings, where this fight takes place, Manon Fiorat is ranked number three. That's right. Rose is moving up after her after her abysmal performance against Carla Esparza. It was just embarrassing. One of the worst fights in UFC history. She's taken over a year off. She has taken quite some time off to uh, perfect her craft of sorts, bulk up, and she'll be taking on the French fighter that is Manon Fiorat. Manon 10-1 professionally, nickname is The Beast. She is, um, how old is Manon? I believe she's 33. 5-0 and oh in the UFC. Two finishes to her name. Coming off a big win over Caitlin Chukagian um, last October. She unfortunately did not fight on the last Paris card. I think her fight fell through, so I'm happy to see her back in action. Uh, matchup preview. Um, Manon's got in two inches in height. They have the same reach, same orthodox style. But Rose, man, a legend of the game. Been fighting in the UFC since 2014. Lost to Carla Sparza, would pick up three straight victories, uh, earning a performance bonus over Paige Van Zandt. Fight the night, lost to Karolina Kowalski. Would end up upsetting Joanna Jones Jacek for the UFC Strawweight Championship in 2017, defending it against her. She would lose to Jessica Andrade by getting slam finished. She would then win the belt back against Zhang Weili in 2021 with a nasty head kick, defend the belt against Zhang Weili, and last May, um, not last May of 2022, that is, lost it to Carla Esparza. But yeah, I'm going to go with Manon Fiorat by a unanimous decision. I think she's in France. She's got the momentum. I think Rose is taking a long time off. She's moving up in weight. I think Manon is more comfortable at that weight. She was able to fend off Kaylin Chukagian. She's been able to fend off Jeffrey Maya. She actually holds a win over Myra Bueno Silva. That's right, the woman who beat Holly Holmes earlier this year. And I just think Manon Fiorat is... It's either going to be her or Aaron Blanchfield next in line for the Women's Flyweight Championship. So that's my pick, Man If You're Out, by unanimous decision. Not even split, unanimous decision. And with this win, I think she can call for a tell shot. But I mean, looking at how Aaron Blanchfield performed against Talia Santos, she's going to have to up that performance if she wants a tell shot. So she's going to need to finish or just outright dominate Rose Nama Yunus. Because that Aaron Blanchfield-Talia Santos match was very close last weekend. So we'll see how that goes. But let's get into our main event Why we're all watching. We always watch for the main event. We always do. We're in the heavyweight division, ladies and gentlemen, as number two ranked Cyril Gaon takes on number seven ranked Sergey Spivak. 
Man, oh man, this is going to be a good one. Cyril is 11-2 professionally. Sergey is 16-3. and three. These guys rarely lose. And when they do, it's the top competitors. Six foot four for Cyril Gon, six foot three for Sergey, eighty-one inch reach for Cyril, seventy-eight for Sergey. So an inch in height, three inches in reach, both orthodox styles. Cyril is thirty-three, Sergey is twenty-eight. This should be very, very good. And this is a clash of styles. Sergey's an outright grappler. Cyril is your classical kickboxer striker. Sergey debuted in the UFC in twenty nineteen. Sort of had the Pavlovich treatment of getting finished by um, someone at the time who was very good but now isn't, and um, Daddy lost to Walt Harris. I'm saying that because Sergey Pavlovich, who is the number one ranked heavyweight at the moment, lost to um, Alistair Overeem, actually, in 2019. How about that? He would then beat Tai Tuivasa in 2019 by arm triangle, drop a decision to Marcin Tibura in 2020. Since then, he's gone 6-1. and one. His only loss is a short-notice fight against Tom Aspinall. Other than that, he's finished four of his last um, six wins. It's currently on a three-fight win streak. All finishes. Finished Greg Hardy by a TKO in round one. Finished Augusto Sakai by TKO, TKO in round um, two. And picked up his biggest win of his career earlier this year in a fight night where he submitted Derek Lewis in three minutes with an arm triangle, earning himself a performance bonus. He landed six takedowns in three minutes. That is, He, he averaged two takedowns per minute for how long his fight lasted. That's crazy. We're going to get to why it's notable, though, in a second. Cyril Gan, the legend, the French fighter. He is the hometown favorite. He was undefeated 10-0 before he ran into Francis Ngannou in 2022, would lose a unanimous decision after winning the first two rounds. But he would bounce back with a legendary performance against Taitui Vasa last time. They were in Paris. He was the main event, earning a round three knockout. It was a fight of the night. I'd have given him a performance bonus. That fight was nuts. Earlier this year, though, he did get brutally finished by John Jones in two minutes, one of the worst championship performances I've ever seen. But now he's back. He says he's been working on his grappling. He's committed, and he's here to take over. The one noble thing I want to point out is that in his losses to Francis Ngannou and John Jones, he was outgrappled. But for Sergey Spivak, he is more of a—he's very bad at control. If, if you will notice something, is that in his last two fights— Actually, let's use his last three fights. In his last three fights, he has landed 15 takedowns. He has landed 15 takedowns his last three fights. Now, his last three fights, total fight time is like 13 minutes. So he's landed 15 takedowns in 13 minutes against three opponents. That's not good. There is no control time there. The only control time you're going to see is just from him relentlessly hugging the back. I will say that when Shogun lost to John Jones, there was a lot of factors there. I don't think he trained well for that fight. I think John Jones is actually that good. So I mean, that was part of it. For the Francis Ngannou one, I don't think Shogun anticipated grappling at all. So we'll see how he does. If he can fend off Sergey Spivak in round one, I think he'll have him tired. And by round two, I think he can knock him out with maybe a head kick. I'm going with a head kick knockout just to spice it up. Round two knockout from Shogun by any means necessary. I do think the hometown man could get done. I just think even if if this was at the apex, I'd honestly favor Spivak. But we're in Paris. It's been – Cyril has not had to travel anywhere. He's been in his home country. As for Spivak, I mean, he hasn't fought since February. Cyril has fought in March. Cyril also fought John Jones, and he fought Derek Lewis. I don't know. I don't know. It's very. It's going to be very competitive, but I do favor, favor Cyril Bangamai. Gone. His nickname is Bangami. Bangami? Bangamni, I think it is. So let's recap our main card predictions. We're going with um, Morgan Cherie over Manolo Zaccini by round one submission. William Gomez over Yanis Gamori by decision. Bogdan Guskov over Volkan Ozdemir by round two knockout. Benoit Saint Denis over Tiago Moises by round two TKO. Um, Co-main event, we're going with Manon Fiorat over Rose Namajunas by unanimous decision. And in the main event, Cyril Gan over Sergei Spivak by round two knockout. Should be super good. I'm rocking with a majority of French fighters, actually. Let me double check. I pair predicted of the nine French fighters on the card, I predicted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I predicted seven of them to win. One of them opens the card is Zara Fire, and the other one, um, Manolo's. Is it Manolo or 
It's someone. I think it's Manolo Zaccini. No, it's not. I don't know who it is, but... Oh, it's Gamori. Gamori. So there's two French fires fighting. So yeah, everything checks out. Should be a very exciting card. I will reiterate. It goes down at 11.30 Central Time for Minnesota um, on Saturday, 11.30 a.m. 2 p.m. main card. 11.30 prelims, 2 o'clock Central main card. Very excited for that. And I had fun on this podcast, guys. Um, not as long as the other ones. Just over an hour, which I guess is pretty long. Um... You can follow me on any socials. Um, follow me on Verdict, guys. Get on Verdict. I encourage you to use it. It's um, my uh, username, ZR2002. You can rank fights, predict all your fights on. Um, for UFC, they even do PFL. They do Dan White's Contender Series. Sometimes they do fun events like that. Um, but yeah, this was a super fun podcast. I um, I very much enjoyed it. I very much did. We ranked Phase 2 of the MCU, which I enjoyed. Recap Dana White's Contender Series. Talked about um, some new UFC news, the rankings. And of course, our ever favorite um, pre pre um, pre fight analysis, pre event analysis, almost as fun as the post fight analysis. So, I uh, I hope everyone will be watching. I'm gonna be working on um trying to grow this podcast, trying to grow uh, my brand of just myself in general. And yeah, just thank you all for listening. I appreciate everyone who takes the time of their day to listen to me talk about things. Trust me, it does not go unappreciated, the uh, views and downloads I get. So yes, thank you all very much. We'll be back maybe Monday or Sunday with another episode. Going to be doing um, some fantasy drafts, so we'll have to recap those. Going to be working on getting some special guests on. I still cannot figure out how to set up two mics into my USB ports on my computer. If someone can help me with that, I would greatly appreciate it. Follow me on Instagram, Zach Ruger. Follow the Surprise Shop Podcast on Instagram. Follow me, ZR2002, on TikTok. Add me on Snapchat, Zach Ruger. You can find me anywhere. I will most likely communicate back because I love my fans, if I have any, or just we can become friends. Who knows? I'm rambling. I'll see you guys next week. Have an amazing weekend.